Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to Cave of the Cross Apologetics. I'm Patrick. I'm Tony. And uh, we're continuing our look at kind of the um, the lesser th- uh, theodicies that uh, Scott Christian has brought up in his book, um, where he's going to put forth his explanation for uh, what is evil all about, uh, what's the best explanation. We've covered in the past uh, the, kind of the free will defense and uh, the the... the, the natural state of the world to uh, uh, natural law to uh, inform the non-moral aspect of, of evil. And we said, uh, the, the, according to the author, uh, there were issues with that. And so um, we're in the middle of our chapter six here of working with the greater good, where we're discussing yeah. both the uh, greater good theology as well, uh, theodicy, as well as some of the, the other um, uh, explanations that either get put forth or help to explain different parts of evil. Yeah, and, and it was rather fascinating, his discussion of the free will defense and how he didn't think that, even though it was good, he didn't think that it exactly worked uh, and, and all the issues that he brought out with it, right? Right, right. And so uh, we see here now in the, this theodicy, uh, as we've been working our way through that, uh, um, several of these things, he obviously he's going to use some of this stuff as part of his particular position he's still going to point out as we've seen some some issues with this at least various versions but he's you know but he looks like he's going to use some of this stuff yeah so this isn't new stuff that's just coming out of nowhere that he's the first person ever right, and you, right. you know that 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 old saying of uh <laughs> if, if you've never heard it before in church history it's probably incorrect yeah. or, or at the very worst a heresy yeah. so, so yeah. uh so he doesn't seem to be uh doing that and so um we're we're uh soon approaching to uh, that spot where, um, where if you're if you're thinking like, okay, well, here's all the big critiques. Well, okay, well, what's the what's the rest of the story? That's right. So we're we're, we're what's getting the there. punchline? <laughs> and so uh, we're starting on at least uh, in our the hardcover book on page one twenty nine, uh, talking about the soul making theodicy. And so he says here that uh, this is a particular brand of the greater good defense is this the, the soul making theodicy. It was first articulated by the early church father, Irenaeus, who kind of existed in that uh, first and second century of, of early church history. And more recently, it was promoted by uh, the John Hick. The soul-making theodicy says that humans are born in a state of immaturity and must undergo adversity as part of a process of becoming mature. So, you know, it kind of, uh, why must we go through this life? Why, why must we start as children and, and progress into adulthood? Lord willing, um, why must we go through all this, um, this pain and suffering in this world? And so this is kind of uh, uh, to answer a little bit into, to, into that category of the question. Right. He says, only in a world full of suffering and adversity do we see traits such as perseverance and courage and forgiveness and patience and mercy and sympathy and self-sacrifice and that sort of thing. So these virtues, he says, uh, logically require the presence of evil or suffering for their cultivation. So the definition of such virtues is, you know, it's meaningless without, you know, suffering and evil. And, and, and so he says that scripture consistently uh, commends suffering for the character that it produces, right? And we think of James chapter 1 right away. Right, right yeah. <clears throat> so I, I kind of think of a little bit about this uh, with uh, the story of the time machine by H.G. Wells. And I, I always forget the, the two, two, two races. Mor- 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 Morlocks is, is the, the, the evil ones. <laughs> but you had that society that was, you know, perfect and perfected. And, you know, they, they, 
didn't know what books were and mm. you know mm-hmm. all the writings had crumbled because and not even crumbled they 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 had decomposed to where when the narrator comes into into view and holds it it crumbles yeah. away they have this perfect life except for the morlocks were taking them away and so a, a story that doesn't have the morlocks there is a boring story. We, we no one's going to read like once upon a time there were uh, there was a princess. Nothing happened to her. She got married, and the end. That's right. They so lived happily they're, ever they're, after. They're, yeah, there has to Actually, be. Actually, they lived happily forever, <laughs> not after. Right. So, so you know, all all of our best stories kind of relate to kind of the human nature, the human condition, and those stories that we have adhered up have have really gleaned onto and has stood the test of time. All have this rise and fall of tension. There's a agitator, there's a hero, there's, you know, even, even the anti-hero could be the hero or mm-hmm. switch places. You know, we've, we've tried, we've, we've had all sorts of different storytelling in there. And so th- this is kind of um, thinking the process through of, of, well, here's God's story that he's laying out. And this is um, uh, infused, uh, infuses our character with certain virtues that we couldn't get without evil. Mm hmm. So, uh, furthermore, a world with adverse consequences for evil behavior is better than one in which God uh, mitigated those consequences. Without consequences for such incidences, there would be no moral lesson learned to strengthen moral character. So that's kind of what we're talking about. You know, you you have your your hero. Uh, you know, maybe he's uh, young and inexperienced, or he's uh, been through three hundred wars, and you know, he's uh, he's won them all with. You know, uh, no, no challenge whatsoever. But then it gets interesting when he fails or there's someone bigger than him or the, the young hero uh, finds a master to train him up. And, you know, you have the, yeah. uh, the tension there. Of, yeah. 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 The growth. <laughs> One would uh, act carelessly with utter abandon and with impunity, though. There would be no need to build character through self-control, honesty, perseverance, alertness, common sense and wisdom and the like. So. You know, if you just have all perfect beings existing in the world, you just kind of have a, a boring life. There, there's there's nothing there that uh, that you can say, oh, this person is good just by the virtue of them doing something. There's no, oh, I, I really put, you know, I, I, I put 300 hours into drawing this very lifelike um, uh, picture of my grandmother with only a pencil. And it looks exactly like a photograph. I, I saw an artist do that today with or on on um, you know doing thirty hours of of this and it's like wow that's really impressive. I, but I hope you didn't watch it for thirty. Hours. N- not for thirty hours. It was very it nicely was done in speed. ninety seconds. <laughs> <laughs> and so I went, oh, that's nice, and clicked away. So you know, all his hard work was was definitely felt by me. Uh, we would be less inclined to deem certain things sinful because there would be no ill effect to doing those things. You know. Uh, the the if if death uh, refuses to operate for a day, we'd all be throwing ourselves off buildings, and we that was fun. And then soon it would get boring and and stuff like that. And there there are some really good books that I've read that uh, have taken that concept of of uh, living for um, for forever and uh, really talked about how uh, damning it would be. Mm. <laughs> and so th- those are those are really interesting to to read. Uh, the greatest displays of moral character are those that are forged in the fires of adversity. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So he says the soul making theodicy certainly dispels the notion that God created the world for our unmitigated 
pain-free blissfulness, right? <laughs> right? Where it's just for us and all that kind of stuff. He says, what, what we are to make, what are we to make of this soul-making theodicy that here we have this evil because, you know, it's a tempting. God is a, trying to accomplish something in us, right? Mm-hmm. Trying to improve us. He says, the principles behind this theodicy are certainly biblical and have tremendous value for the believer, but the theodicy is not without problems. Very much so. Right. Many have criticized it, he says, employing the same objections that the greater good defense uh, uh, has. Uh, It suffers from other concerns as well. For example, uh, we must admit that while evil has a soul-building effect on Christians, right, it does not have that effect on others, right, is what, because if it's for us, if it's to improve our character, what about the folks who are not believers yeah right what effect does it have on those folks yeah right? not all of them are the darth vader the emperor the stormtroopers <laughs> they're, they're not all on the other side and there are just some people who aren't believers that are just generally good people but they're going through this and there's nothing that seems to be attained by them through through this process in yeah. the end uh so he quotes uh kind of uh, tim keller here and says that he makes an interesting point about uh this quote here Tim Keller says, many people with bad souls get very little or uh, of the ad- adversity they apparently need, and many with great souls get an amount that seems to go far beyond what is necessary for spiritual growth. The Psalms, uh, and that's the end of the quote there, uh, the Psalms ab- abundantly testify to this dilemma. Many wicked people seem to prosper while the righteous suffer inordinarily. So, so, so not only, you know, the, we can question whether or not unbelievers are gaining something, but we can also question how come sometimes unbelievers seem to get away with stuff and, you know, and their souls aren't improved. Right. 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 You know, they, they got away with, with justice. So, you know, justice wasn't meted out against them. Uh, Bernie Madoff still lived like a King for, you know, so many years making oodles of cash and then, you know, went, went to jail and died in the later part of his life, uh, you know, okay, the, those are the worst years. Sure. Okay. The, the, no one, no one really cares at, at that point. And you still have thousands, millions of people affected by those actions. So who, you know, where was justice and all that? Yeah. And I, and I, I do think too, on, on both sides of the spectrum, we have a terrible view of what justice is and, and trying to explain uh, you know, uh, what, what, uh, what fulfillment of justice is. It seems like, you know, okay, you have a, a trial for someone, they're found guilty, uh, they're put on death row and killed. I, I, I don't know how, how, um, how someone can say, oh, justice was done because life was taken for a life without more information there. We just mm. have, have, we have a society that operates on those rules and I can see a specific deterrence for that. But I think as far as when it comes to the idea of justice, I think there's, there's more work there that, that needs to be done by people that uh, I can just put forward the questions and they can do the hard work that I can <laughs> read about. We must recognize that we can't know whether adversity has a, uh, has a soul building effect or not. We just can't know. In the case of Cain, for instance, right? Uh, perhaps it didn't, right? It didn't affect <laughs> right. him, right? But he went, course, went and lived in the city, yes. and that's the end of that story, yeah. <laughs> but obviously in the case of Abraham and Joseph and Moses and Ruth and Daniel and David and so forth, uh, yeah, you know, Paul, countless others, yes, it did have this effect. However, he says, nevertheless, the soul-making theodicy has uh, limited value and can never be the basis, he tells us, for a comprehensive theodicy. 
is the building of the souls of the faithful through adversity. The sole reason, he says, he questions, right, for allowing evil to wreck the beauty and tranquility of the whole created order, right? right? You know, destroy the whole thing just to build, you know, my soul. (laughs) I didn't even ask for this. Right. He says, as important as such soul building is, there must be reasons that uh, penetrate the enigma, he tells us, of uh, this ubiquitous sin and corruption of universal death and decay and of all the manner of catastrophe with, um, you know, greater depth than the soul making theodicy does. So he says he, the idea here is he doesn't believe that this particular uh, position, although it has some merit Mm -hmm. goes far enough to explain the, the, um, the amount Right, the 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 he says the ubiquitous of sin, even though it's like that, the amount of corruption, the amount of destruction that happens as a result of of, of the evil that's present. Right. 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 So, uh, moving on to uh, the uh, kind of the best of all possible worlds defense here. All right. So this is the next one. Right. So now that's the soul making one. So the next one here is. The best of all possible worlds defense. Right. So this is uh, this, and he kind of likes this one, right? He kind of he 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 attempts to at least to a certain extent defends uh, this one, yeah. right? <clears throat> yeah, and and um, uh, the, the kind of the people that uh, we get into um, are are fairly uh, maligned by one side <laughs> and um, put up uh, uh, a lot on, on the other. Um, but, uh, we, we talk about, uh, the brilliant German, uh, Lutheran philosopher, Gottfried Wilhelm Leibniz. That's right. Uh, and so <laughs> I he, like saying that too. <laughs> the, the nuclear vessels. <laughs> and so he, he lived, uh, uh, roughly between, uh, 1646 and 1716, kind of give you, uh, a, a, a date there. Yeah. Of, so of he was he, kind of a contemporary of Isaac Newton. Yeah. In fact, I mean, they had an ongoing, uh, spat about, oh, you know, <laughs> yeah, in more ways than one. Yeah. <laughs> but he first pr- uh, pr- uh, propounded the idea that a God of un bridled perfection would create the best world possible. So, so you have this, uh, this idea of a God in perfect and in, in every quality in every aspect. And so what type of, of world or universe would that type of God create? Well, it would be the greatest possible world you could ever imagine. The, right. the greatest show on earth. That's right. That, right. The that, best that's, possible world. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He, God's the PT Barnum. <laughs> well, I don't know how, how far you want to take that, uh, that implication there. Yeah. And so that, uh, that such a world, uh, must contain evil. Why? Because that's the qualities of, of God that, uh, are put forth, uh, in scripture. And so we know that evil exists. And so therefore the best possible world, must contain evil. So he, he, um, he has his explanation there as the best of all possible worlds. So this is a best of all possible world because God's the best possible being and, and contains evil. Therefore it's a necessary part of, uh, the best possible world or universe. Mm. So the best of all possible worlds defense is another variation of the greater good defense. For example, Leibniz says God cooperates morally in moral evil. That is, in sin without being the originator of sin and even without being accessory there too. He does this by permitting it justly and by directing it wisely towards good. All right. So, so we have God cooperating, right, morally with with evil. He he cooperates it in terms of he uses it is the idea. Yeah. Right? <clears throat> 
Yeah. And uh, he says the best of all possible world defense proceeds from a consideration of the essential attributes that God would uh, necessarily have. So this one takes into account who God is, God's character, God's attributes. Right. This means that God being infinite and omniscient, all, all knowing, knows every possible good world. State of affairs is what he's talking about here, right? Not just a planet, right? <laughs> right but right. a state of affairs, right. right? Upon surveying all these various states of affairs, these various worlds, uh, God knows which one is superior to all others, and that's the one that he chooses, right? And so because God is supremely wise and good, he uh, chooses to create that single world that he deems perfect, even though, ironically, he tells <laughs> us, it contains, you know, um, some sin and, uh, you know, imperfections, right? So, so you know, this one's kind of interesting. We take God's character in effect. He's wise and, uh, you know, he's infinite. And so he surveys all the kinds of possible worlds, all the kinds of states of affairs and says, all right, in his perfection, he chooses the perfect, you know, the best of all possible worlds. And that's the one that he chooses to to make. And apparently we see it has imperfections and evil as part of it. But since God is perfect, he chooses the perfect world. Right, the best of all possible worlds. And so because uh, the universe is contingent on God's act of creation, it means that he doesn't have to create that world. But when he does, it also gives him the ability to have a plan for that evil that he will actualize, knowing that it's the best possible world. He knows that evil will come about in it. So he can plan for the the salvific work of Christ's actions on the cross, uh, applied to uh, people uh, that uh, that come to faith uh, th- through that process and the mercy. He can do that before the foundation of that world. So that's the plan he comes up with, the universe is created, and so therefore he's not surprised that he has to send his only son into the world. He, you know, All the verses that talk about predestining the, the accomplishments and acts of, of the cross and all the people le- uh, leading up to it, it makes that plan... Um, able to be known beforehand, essentially. So it doesn't catch God off surprise there. So while one can imagine worlds with far less evil or no evil at all, those worlds overall cannot be construed as better. Why? Because otherwise God would have considered them as superior to the world he made. Mm -hmm. So yes, I can think of a world where nothing bad happens to me. That's a better world for me. But is that a better world for the perfect being of God to That's create right. for all of creation and what, what the perfect being of God right. Right, would do. Right. Yeah. So if a better world is possible and God did not create such a world, then his supreme goodness is maligned. Right. Right. So he's not as good as he sh- could be if he didn't create <laughs> the possible, the best possible world. Right. right? Well, uh, now here's the issue. And so now he's going to point out a few problems with this particular issue. Um, um, position right he says one of the primary objections to the best of all possible worlds defense is that um, no explanation is given as to how evil specifically contributes to this world's being the best possible world right what's what is the role of evil how uh, do we know for sure that uh, you know it's uh, it being there is the best right Leibniz, he says, argues, you know, that we have no obligation to provide an explanation because we're not in a position to know. So, right. you know, that's none of our business. Right? <laughs> Essentially, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. But that, that seems, he, he says, uh, you know, to be an issue here. 
Right. <laughs> so this is uh, a same broad objection and response made with respect to the greater good defense answered by a skeptical theism response. Right. Again, so they say a similar type of right, thing, right? right exactly. Uh, that we can't know or we ought not attempt to know because <laughs> that's beyond us and it's only God that knows. Right. right? Which, I mean, you kind of, you, you kind of uh, um, go back on your, your ignorance of it. Uh, we don't know. We couldn't know. It's one of those things that's not communicated to us. Therefore, let's be, have the skeptical mindset of it. I think that's a, 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 fair, um, a fair response uh, that people don't like. <laughs> Again, <laughs> because we want to know. Well, right? We do want to know, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's the whole point of the yes, is, yeah. is having, having a, a knowable source. Yeah, that's right, an explanation. Again, we can't pretend to know in every instance how the all-wise, all-good, infinitely knowledgeable God uses evil to generate greater goods or to make this the best possible world. Therefore, then, we cannot dictate to God what the best world would look like. We must rescue ourselves as judges of the Almighty and His plans. It is sufficient to rest in God's knowledge of what is best. Right, right. So we have to just kind of depend on God right. as what the the response to this particular objection right. is, right? And and so what uh, Leibniz is, is doing is, is he's grounding in the character of, of God. And so this is a, a, a kind of a, a conditional statement. If God is like this, then th- this would be the result. The be- this would be the best possible world. Uh, evil exists in the world, therefore evil is part of that um, best possible world. And right. so... Now it, we're going to see in a minute that yeah. he's going to find a problem with that. <laughs> right. <laughs> a but, big problem. But, but I'm just saying that uh, he, um, just because we can say, oh, you know, I, 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 wish, um, I wish I didn't uh, get in a car accident and, and lose my arm... Uh, 15 years ago, it would have been better if I had both arms. Just because I can postulate that doesn't mean that I've defeated this this entire argument because I can think of a world where nothing bad has happened or right. that one instance of a bad happened. Yeah. He's, he's, he's grounding it in the knowledge and character of who and it's And it's an extremely logical argument. Of course, that's, that's you know, part like of uh, Leibniz <laughs> was... Uh, you know, he, he not only was a philosopher and a theologian, he was a mathematician. Mm-hmm. In fact, the war that he had with uh, with Newton had to do with who invented the um, the calculus. Yeah, right? Right. And he claimed he was the first one. And, of course, Photo Newton finish. claims Photo he finish. was. Too yeah. close to call. And so that was the ongoing <laughs> argument, you know. And so, you know. Uh, and so this is a very logical, you know, if God is perfect, if he is, you know, all good, uh, then his perfection would 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 to a certain extent allow him to create choose the perfect world right. and if our world then has evil in it it must be the perfect world because that's what a perfect god would choose and so this is just part of the deal is what he's trying to say here right and, and if you do uh, logic at all or taking a logic class uh, you, you know you can disagree with those premises and people do and that's where they kind of start their attack but if the premises are true, then it has to follow that the conclusion follows from that. Right. That's uh, a deductive argument. Yeah. 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 Now, others, he says, object that we can clearly conceive of a better world. Right. This is the point you were trying to make. Right. Uh, for example, we already know, you know, a new heaven and a new earth. Right. Peter talks That's to us about. One. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, where evil will be absent. And the Bible makes it clear that the world is, uh, you know, will be far more glorious than this fallen one. So he's going to argue later in chapter 12, so we're going to hold him to it. (laughs) A lot longer. (laughs) The reason that the future world is so glorious is that it represents the culmination of God's redemptive 
plan. So that's why it is better because we had to go through this redemptive plan, right? So redemption, he says, necessitates the prior presence of evil. You got to have that. You got to be redeemed from something, right? right? Uh, from it's, which it's, it and emerges. It's, and it's not erased. It, it's, it, you know, it's like uh, Jehovah's Witnesses have this idea that uh, we're, we're, we're annihilated and then God, in God's mind, we're there and he recreates us. And that's the thing that that goes on. Well, that's not me. Right. I'm annihilated. It's God's <laughs> image of, else, of, right? of my perfection that yeah. continues on. So this world passes away, but it doesn't get erased. Mm. So I think that's a, a, a point to bring up yeah. here is, is the history still existed. It doesn't just suddenly wipe out and, and God starts over from, uh, you know, uh, from yeah. a, a prime or, <laughs> or, or from point zero and recreates. <laughs> So, you know, so obviously if you're going to have redemption, you have to have be redeemed from something right. evil, right? So redemption is the supreme good, he says, that flows from the presence of a corrupted creation and corrupted creatures, right? And so that's that's a big one, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so another a serious objection to Leibniz's view is that he saw both moral and natural evil as built into the natural structure of the world, mm-hmm. ignoring mm-hmm. original sin. And that is the the spread of Adam's sin to subsequent humanity, and the Edenic curse, the curse of the creation due to Adam's sin. Right. So, um, you know, that, that's what the 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 scriptures teaches from from one man's sin, uh, we all fall in his sin, and then uh, creation is disrupted because of that. And we see things like thorns and thistles and uh, uh, hard work and uh, child labor and, and all the, the, you know, the, the world imploding and exploding, um, after, after uh, Genesis three. Um, so he, he kind of, uh, boiled it down to just, um, just, just one aspect of it. So he, he saw evil as integral to the balance and harmony of the created order, but this can't be moral and natural evil cannot be inherited properties of the very good creation that is impeccably good God established. It, Otherwise it wouldn't have been right, good. Right. right? It, <laughs> it enters into creation at that point. Yeah. So he says, uh, you know, it's kind of a paradox, a paradox rather. And um, he says, in one sense, it must be affirmed that God intended the world to experience the curse of sin as a foil for the greater good of redemption. And yet we must also affirm that there is a palpable sense, he tells us, in which this world is decidedly not the way that it's supposed to be, right? right? And so original sin and the endemic uh, curse have caused an unnatural disruption in the moral fabric of the world and uh, in the natural laws of government. So a time, he says, will come when uh, Eden will be restored, right? But this great and future restoration will be far more magnificent than the old evil, and he asks us, how? (laughs) (laughs) So we may imagine an unfallen world like Eden before the fall that required no redemption. There you go. What's wrong with that, right? (laughs) Uh, The the serpent says to Eve, uh, you shall not surely die. She pulls him off the tree, steps on him. He doesn't die because death hasn't entered the world, and he goes (laughs) out into the uh, the outer darkness, uh, sad and alone, where, uh, so when he steps on, when she steps on, he she just shuts him up. She doesn't yeah, kill him, right? Exactly, yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, right. no death in the world. <laughs> she doesn't need a belt yet. So, yeah. <laughs> so so that that world requires no redemption, and we might even say that such a world would be a better than this present one, all things being equal. But that could never compare to the future world described in Scripture, because its supreme glory is made glorious only by the fact that it will be reformed, and that's Second uh, Peter three ten. 
through 13. Out of this fallen world of futility to which God subjected it to. So, so that, that uh, Eden existed. It was there. Good. But even, even there, what was the command of God? To go out from the garden and expand the garden. That was kind Be of fruitful, what our, our, multiply, cultivate the, the yeah, yeah. That, that yeah. wasn't that wasn't after Genesis three. That, that was realized more more fully after Genesis three. But that was the command to 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 take the world and form it more to 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 glorify it more to to be the ambassadors of of the world to God, uh, bringing them into uh, that that relationship that wouldn't have uh, been broken at that time for sin. But that's going to happen. More fully, and God's God's the 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 author and sustainer of of that recreation. Too. Right. So, notice a what he's arguing here is that a reformed world after a redemption is is somehow better than the original world that was good. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, the, so, as a result of going through this evil and re, and redemption occurring. It's, it's better. And I think part of it has to do with, the, you know, God reveals himself, you know, through this, his, his, uh, his full, in his fullness, right, due to redemption. Fullness. That's, yeah. I think that's the key is how do we know God is a God of mercy? How do we know that God is a God of redemption? How do we know that God is a God who forgives and uh, is able to uh, take people that hate him and, and change their hearts and uh, wipe away their sin because mm-hmm. he, is, he has justified them? and just being the key with the key thing there. How is that all revealed? Right. And I'll, I'll skip ahead a little bit because he's going to say <laughs> Romans nine, yeah. but I'll say also Romans nine tells us <laughs> ju- just that fact is, is how, how can God reveal those things without something like the fall right. occurring uh, other than just God saying, I'm just We're like, what, what yeah. is just? Yeah. What is that? I don't mean? know what that yeah. means. And yeah. 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 a, a pre-fallen yeah. state. I'm forgiving, you know, I, I, I for, I'm yeah. forgiving. Yeah. What does that mean? Right. right? <laughs> disobedience to God. Why would we do that thing? <laughs> now I can go, Oh, disobedience to God. Uh, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll take one, please. Yeah. So he, he goes on here to finish to say that heaven's joy is made a brightest only when preceded by the most ten- tenebrous tears soaking the earth. So, mm, mm-hmm. so it's, it's from, from the, the, from kind of the ashes, uh, it rises. <laughs> <laughs> So he says, though, and so here's the uh, here's the um, nub, here's the problem, the major problem, at least as I see it. Right. Uh, He says, having said this, we still cannot advance the best of all possible worlds defense uh, as a satisfying theodicy for another important reason. Well, Mm -hmm. what is it? Well, it undermines, notice, the freedom of God in creation. Leibniz suggested that God's supreme wisdom united uh, to be um, to a goodness that is no less infinite cannot but have chosen the best, right? So Leibniz appears, he tells us here, uh, to be saying that only one world could qualify as the best of all possible worlds. If that is true, he tells us, then it follows that if this is indeed the best of all possible worlds, then it must be, and here's the, here's the uh, nub here, logically necessary for God to have created this. God had to do it. God had no choice. God had no freedom. This is what he had to do. Right. Right. And so this makes God's act of creation uh, itself logically necessary. Well, is that, you know, is that what we really want? Yeah. Right. Right. No. <laughs> <laughs> 
so a more faithful way to ponder a, a, a perfect creator who has perfect freedom to consider the following two claims about the world. First, that this is the best of all possible worlds. So that's Leibniz's position. Yes. Right. Yeah. But two is there is no possible world better than this world. Mm. So mm. you're like, oh, what, what's the difference there? Yeah. Well, claim one, which uh, Tony says what Leibniz made, uh, certainly entails claim two, right? So this is the best of all possible worlds, and, and there are no possible worlds better than the, that world, is what, what that uh, agrees to. Right. But the second claim isn't true in reverse. Mm. Claim two does not entail claim one. Claim one, this is the best of all possible worlds, is a stronger claim but it commits Leibniz to far more than the evidence can sustain. Claim two, that is, there is no possible world better than this world, is more modest and defensible. And he says, well, why? Because it preserves God's freedom as well as the optimally great God that Leibniz rightfully affirms. Right. In other words, claim two says that there may be other worlds equal to this world, but that there is no possible world better than this world. Right. So that it leaves open how one might judge what an optimally good uh, world must look like. There's no single criterion of goodness by which uh, to judge such a world. Uh, One would uh, with more goodness may be better in some respects, he tells us, whereas one with less goodness may be better in other respects. Right. So the point is, is this, there may be any number of possible worlds, right, any number of equally optimal worlds, uh, exemplifying the highest good that an optimally good God uh, could have chosen to create, uh, that um, do not deny his freedom. So, uh, you know, so the the way to get around this is to say, you know, as you said, claim two, which was there is no possible world better than this world, right? Now, there may be other possible worlds as good, and so God is free to choose among various possible worlds, and so by that, he says, this saves God's freedom, right? Mm-hmm. Right. We uh, probably should. Uh, that was a lot to take. Yeah. <laughs> in, in our discussion yeah. here and pick this last portions up uh, next time. Right. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. So next time we're looking at the divine, the v- divine judgment defense. And, um, and we get into some really interesting points here, um, especially for those of you who keep asking me about hell. <laughs> I, uh, most of my time, I just say, "Well, just wait until we're done with the whole book." I'm sure you know it's in, it's in here, and so um, he 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 treats uh, the subject of hell uh, briefly, uh, yeah, briefly, uh, and and also uh, what we always like: don't set the bottom where they belong, and uh, ex- expanded reading there, and um, and uh, kind of uh, other side aspect to it. All right. So, so he he has one more defense that he wants us to take a look at. Right. Now again, we need to keep in mind that so far he hasn't given us his particular right. take right on the greater good yeah. defense. So he's so looking at, we stop here and, and, and we've just destroyed all theodicies and, <laughs> and we're good and other people can do this work. So that, that's all we want to do. No. Yeah. So yes. Uh, so we'll, we'll finish up here with uh, uh, chapter six next time. And uh, we'll start to move on to uh, his, his uh, view of things that uh, he's got to lay some, uh, some uh, things out work. first. Yeah. 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 Uh, Cause He's going to reveal more in, in chapter 12. And <laughs> uh, like I said, we're going to hold him to it and, and see what he says there. So uh, as always, thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for watching our stuff. Uh, we hope that uh, you uh, liked a couple episodes back, uh, discussion of hermeneutics and how that relates to apologetics and your own Bible study. And you know, I got a lot out of it. And uh, 
uh, a lot of book recommendations from there as well. Uh, and uh, hopefully this also uh, helps to um, uh, entice you to uh, understand that uh, what we, what we want to do is be able to not just have good arguments for things that uh, we think uh, add to the discussion of uh, whether God exists or why we should believe in him, but that we ground it in the revealed uh, scriptures that uh, we claim to follow. And so uh, that's what uh, we're doing here by, by being critical of these different theodicies is that they're not just um, good arguments that we want to make them scriptural arguments. Yeah. So that's what we're doing. So thanks again, and we'll see you next time. See you next time.